This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with John Gargiulo, Global Product Marketing Lead at Airbnb. On this episode, John discusses a problem that he has seen that needs to be addressed. There's often a gap in the middle of the marketing funnel between brand marketing and performance marketing. He calls it the mid-funnel chasm. John tells us exactly what that chasm is, why it's there, and what marketers can do to address it. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. Kitty corner from me in studio in Palo Alto. Chad, what's going on? Hey, what's up? I'm the CEO of Mission.org. You might not hear me on marketing trends too often, but I am in the background. But when we do, (laughs) it's for a reason. It is. And that's because we have a special friend in studio today. John, what's going on? Not much. Thanks for having me. I was just wondering, is it Kitty Corner or Kitty Corner? This has been haunting me my whole life. I know. I was gonna. I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna make that joke within the joke, but then I was like, I, I tend to uh, pontificate too much already. John, we met. Was it six months ago now, or at least I think about yeah, about six months ago, and uh, we figured out we we're neighbors. Yeah, and uh, hit it off. Started talking, and yeah, finally when we launched Marketing Trends, it was like. Why isn't he on? Got to get him on. So no, I'm so excited to be here. And he was Brain. like, absolutely not. I'm way too busy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's part of the reason. The other reason is because I've actually been to Colgate University multiple times. Wow. Because I went to school in up, upstate New York. And so we went to Colgate because Army used to play Colgate in basketball. Oh, nice. Uh, and Colgate, it's actually a totally random story that is 100% going to resonate with our audience of a lot of, uh, lot of uh, Northeast people. There's this famous... Colgate basketball player that set like every record. Adonal Foyle. Adonal Foyle. That's exactly right. He used to, and he played for the Warriors. So I was talking to when I was at West Point, the uh, the basketball like operations guy, and I was like, "Sir, man, it's crazy that Adonal Foyle like set all these records. Like, was he just like a machine?" He's like, "Yeah. Well, he we when we would play him, he's like he was going up against the guy. He's like seven feet tall. He's going up again against a guy. He's like six four, and he's just destroying him." And I'm like, "Oh, that sucks for that guy." And he went, "Yeah, that guy was me. He's like <laughs> he set like three records on me." And I was like, "Oh man, talk about putting your foot in your mouth, which we tend to do as marketers." So switching gears, John, how'd you get into marketing? You know, I started out doing a bunch of internships in film while I was at Colgate. Uh, In fact, one summer I showed up in the meatpacking district of New York, staying in NYU housing, walked through like cow hanging cow carcasses when that used to be in the meatpacking district to my first job in production on Super Troopers. Um, No kidding. Yeah. And I walked in, it was five guys. It was Broken Lizard, the Colgate comedy troupe that was doing the movie. And, uh, I picked up the script on my first day and I read it and I read that first scene where they're in the car yeah. and I get pulled over. And I was like, I went into my boss's office. I must have been like, you know, 19. I said, this is this is actually really funny. This is really good. Like, yeah, you know, it's an independent movie. We'll see if anyone watches it. And so I did that for a while, decided I didn't know if the, the sort of people that made up the film and, and TV industry were where I wanted to hang out with for my life. And 
I was on a date with a girl and I was just telling her this. I just had this thought that, you know, maybe it's film's not for me. And she said, well, you know, my dad's a creative uh, director at J. Walter Thompson. And I said, what's that? She said, oh, it's his ad agency. You know, you, you should try advertising. And so the next summer I worked for her dad and um, I remember having a notebook and I would just write down everything that I didn't understand from that day and walk in his office and read all the words and acronyms. I'd sit in on client meetings. And I remember the first day walking in and I said, okay, what's this? What's copy? And he said, oh, copy is like what we call the words. And I'm like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, and I became a copywriter and uh, went to Miami ad school and went on from there. You thought the copy desk was literally the copy machine? I like, was it's so the, confused. It's the desk yeah. next to the copier. That's a crazy story. I would I would start every conversation with I worked on Super Troopers if I if I had done it. That's yeah, really, that's awesome. I think it's probably the best opening scene. That and Anchorman have the best two opening scenes in in movie history. Yeah, those, they're really good guys and really funny and still making movies. That's so interesting. And so you at a certain point after that, you decided to start your own company, which is interesting because we have a lot of marketing slash founders that we've had on this show, but they're not necessarily it's kind of the uh, not necessarily the norm. Why did you do that? You mean they didn't all start sandwich shops? <laughs> Not all of them anyway? Yeah, no. So I, I went to Miami at school. I dreamed of working at Cliff Freeman and Partners. I got to I got to do that. Um, Cliff did Where's the Beef, Pizza Pizza, a lot of the famous dot-com, Cookie Super Bowl ads. There was that one, uh, we want you to remember our name, outpost.com, the like grandfatherly guy in the chair. And he said, so we're going to shoot this gerbil through a cannon, through the O in outpost.com. And it said, send complaints to outpost.com. Um, oh, that's so funny. It was like remember. a great experience. And then on my birthday, two years in, I went into his office. I brought him his favorite lunch he ate every day for 30 years of plain salad with three lemon slices and a piece of salmon. And I we sat down and I said, well, I'm going to leave. He said, oh, where are you going? He's kind of infamous for not liking it when people went to other agencies. I said, well, I'm going to start a chain of sandwich restaurants. And he said, what? Wow. Interesting. And so I did. They were called uh, Switch uh, Press Sandwiches. This was in the go-go heyday of the mid-2000s. I remember a uh, reading about a company called Cereality that was uh, waiters in pajamas taking bowls of cereal of different kinds to college students on three campuses that quickly sold for $8 million. And I thought, man, if those guys can do that, and you know, the restaurant industry is not a super sophisticated industry. I thought, man, I, I love food so much and I, I love business, I love people. You know, I could just totally get into this and have a lot of fun. And I did and opened, ended up opening uh, two restaurants in Chelsea and uh, down in the financial district. Then the economy became the economy. We did a stunt where we actually rolled all our prices back when Lehman was failing to 1929 prices. Oh my God. And there's wow. a picture still up there somewhere on Eater of people lined up all the way around the block, you know, to come in and, and got a bunch of press for that. But it was an incredible experience. You know, I had to raise money and build that out and just kind of get a feel for what it's like to actually run a business yourself and do everything yourself. And then so you end up at Bluestacks. This is kind of a completely different career opportunity, career change. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. I had one of these like, okay, what do I do next moments? And I thought, well, I thought what everyone thinks when they don't know what to do next, I applied to business school. Uh, I thought <laughs> I'd go there and learn this business thing a little better. And uh, I'm like, I don't know if I'm really excited about that. And and then I was out here at a winery just with some friends that we had met at a wedding in, in South Carolina. And they were both working at Twitter. This was 2011. And they were like, don't go to business school. Come out here, work for Twitter, work for something out here. So I never really considered tech and uh, ended up coming out for inter informational interviews, met with a bunch of people, ended up getting 
offers. I mean, I literally at my at that time I thought, who is going to want me? I've like a month ago I was under a fryer like scrubbing the floor. Why I don't understand. Why would any tech company want me? And I I was very flattered. Um, and it's funny. The offers I ended up choosing between were Facebook in Austin, which was growing really quickly, but it was running a part of Facebook deals. This is when Groupon was like lighting it up, like the yeah. fastest company in the history of companies to a billion dollars in revenue. Everyone was building their own Groupon. And the other was this Bluestacks thing that no one knew kind of how to pronounce what to say or what they were going to do. It was essentially running Android apps on PC. And it was very wonky. They thought they were going to be a B2B company, but I really liked the founders a lot. It hadn't even launched yet, a few people. And I talked to every friend I had and said, you know, what should I do here? And they said, you know, go for the higher ceiling opportunity. You know, Facebook, looking back, obviously 2011 was still early, but Bluestacks was so, so early and so exciting. And I really loved it. I got to run marketing there and business development. So I took that job. They closed down Facebook deals seven months later. Wow. Um, and, uh, and I had an unbelievable run at Bluestacks. I was there for five and a half years. It's really interesting when people, because we we hear from a lot of listeners about you know this idea of brand marketers that that go into the performance world, and obviously we're going to talk a lot about performance versus brand coming up soon. But how they just don't think that they can hack it in tech. It's, it's just like hey, it's a different world, and we we get outreach from people that's like, you know, blending those two things is critical part of my career. I'm at that step. Like, what do I do? Yeah. But it's like oil and water. It's really amazing. I've been, you know, I've been noticing this a lot out here, at least in Silicon Valley recently. So from, from 2011 on for that five and a half years, I was really more in the performance marketing world and, and had an upfront seat with the gaming developers. Um, you know, at all these conferences, we used to joke at conferences, you know, talk about the user acquisition, marketing leads, mobile marketing leads at these, you know, Candy Crush and Machine Zone and these places. Every three months, the world was completely different. Things were so, it was so bleeding edge. The technology, what Facebook was doing, what all the ad tech players were doing. This was back when ad tech was really growing fast. And so I had that experience. And then I went to Airbnb. And of course, I had the brand experience from my agency world back in the day. But I quickly realized both within Airbnb and in a lot of other companies, Uber, almost anywhere, it seems, there really are these two different camps. There's the brand world and there's the performance world. And, you know, head of performance marketing at one point said to me, you know, I love Jonathan, who was our CMO at the time, was more of a brand builder. We're friends, but we just come from different worlds. Like we're just totally different. You know, I was trying to explain to some some folks uh, at a conference, like when we say the words performance marketing, what, do, what does that mean? What's the difference? Like what, you know, it's such a subjective term. And I think the simplest way to explain it is like, if you're in a room at work at your company and there's somebody showing uh an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of acronyms like CVR, CTR, and a bunch of <laughs> basis points. And someone's excited because they did something that was 30 basis points last quarter. Like you're in a meeting with performance marketers. <laughs> yeah. If you're in a meeting and someone shows a video, it's got a really cool song and somebody is like tearing up and they're clapping at the end and everyone's like, we should put that on social. Like you're definitely in a brand marketing meeting. And think about how different those rooms are. So they don't typically gel, but they really should. You know, the funnel is the funnel. You need to be aware of something you need to consider it before you're going to click on those, you know, AdWords ads. Yeah, I mean, you have. Well, we'll get to we'll get to this in a little bit, but you've talked about this mid funnel chasm. So I, I want to get to that in a little bit. But first, like you you took this role at Airbnb, and Airbnb is at this point probably actually similar to where Facebook was when you you had when you had applied there. But it's this extremely huge opportunity that has a million marketing problems. 
problems and problems in a good way. Problems are fun to solve. How did you view this opportunity and looking at like, what is the scope and the scale of this of this new job, knowing that any job I take here is going to change probably 55 times in the next That's couple right, of years? But it's a great question because one of the things that pleased me so much, because Airbnb is my first big company, is that jumping to a company of, I think when I joined is at least a few thousand people. My preconception was, oh, they've kind of got most things figured out. There's some swim lane somewhere. They're like, hey, go in there and swim and you know do this job. And it was the opposite. It was almost like going to BlueStacks in part because I went to a newer part of the business at first. I went into Airbnb for work, which was, all right, we're like a year and a half old in this eight-year-old company. And our mission is to get people when they travel for work to not just stay at the boring hotel in downtown Tokyo, but to stay in an Airbnb in a neighborhood and really get to know the place. Maybe bring your family, maybe stay the weekend. And I remember my interviews. The workation. Yeah, workation, exactly. I remember my interviews and I'm like, well, what are you guys looking for? You know, what's the job? What's this and that? And they would turn it around on me and be like, we don't know. Like, what do you want to do? You know, here's a budget. We need to tell the world about this thing. Uh, go nuts. And I thought, wow, this is a special opportunity. But friends at Facebook, and you know, which is a lot bigger and other companies, they tell me similar stories. Uh, and when I was applying to those jobs at that time, it was a similar story. So I think one of the reasons that tech and Silicon Valley in particular really is still the wild west of business is because it is still early, early days. It's like the auto industry, you know, in the early 1900s, like, or 1930. It's, yes, it's been around for 20 years, but like, we're really about to take off for the next hundred and nobody really knows what to do. And particularly with marketing, you know, our CEO, uh, Brian said to us, uh, we had a marketing all hands, uh, maybe six, six, eight months ago. He said, you know, I never would have guessed that marketing would have changed over the 10 year history of this company faster than technology. So wow. true. You know? Wow. Gosh, that's so true. We talk about having CMOs that are kind of like the five tool athletes now that you, you have to, or five tool prospect, like you have to be able to, to have multiple different skill sets. You have to know brand, you have to know performance. Like you had like, you know, if you're B2B, you have to have field marketing, you have to have whatever. But I think a lot of CEOs are saying like, oh yeah, no, I want someone who's done all of that. Yeah. Like and I, CEOs too. And it's yeah. impossible to find. We talk to CMOs that are, or, you know, people that are interviewing at places and they're saying like, yeah, didn't get the job because I don't have blank. It's like the only way you would have all that stuff is if you're, if you've been in the industry uh, for 40 years or if you're just jumping from job to job to job every right. year. It's like the, the CEOs are not, are, and boards are not looking for a five tool football player who's got speed and dexterity. They're looking for a five sport athlete. Like there's nobody who plays football and is also a figure skater. And it's like knowing B2B field marketing and knowing brand building and performance, it's just, you're not going to find that person. Let's talk a little bit about this mid funnel chasm. And this really kind of gets to the root at performance versus brand. You talk about the person who is spending the CMO who's spending money on billboards. And they're also meticulously looking at their Facebook ad spend or, or whatever it is, or, or app downloads. And we'll talk about the app world as part of this as well in a little bit. But what is this mid funnel chasm? And like, how are, how are marketers supposed to look at this? Yeah, it's so funny because not only is there somebody at a company doing billboards and out of home and TV and that stuff, and there's somebody in the same company doing Facebook ads, but they like roll their eyes at each other. You know, they may be friends, but they barely speak. And there's no one in the middle tying it all together. In fact, I was just talking with somebody 
which company was this? It was a big financial services company. And she said they actually hired an agency to do the higher funnel stuff. And then they had this other agency that specialized, speaking of you know, multi-sport, in the lower funnel stuff. And then they quickly realized that the media buying from both of those agencies was actually competing with each other. Yep. It was a disaster. It had to untangle it over six months. So and you know, she was so frustrated standing in the middle. I'll tell you a quick mid-funnel story. Uh, again, I don't want to call out the person, but one of the big three, let's say, tech companies, uh, a friend of mine runs uh, marketing analytics across a big part of their company. And he said, man, all these guys now, we have so much money. You know, they're, they're spending hundreds of millions on brand, even though we never used to do that before. And, you know, we did this big campaign for this big famous product of ours, hardware product. And we did like billboards. You probably saw them all over San Francisco, this and that. And I looked deep into the numbers. I could not figure out how it really helped at all. It was really basically a waste of $60 million. And then we did this other thing. We actually took 30 short videos about this hardware product and about a lot of the misconceptions about it and how it works and how if you don't understand how it works, you can actually call this number and we'll help you you know, install it, et cetera. And we found in our multi-touch attribution that the people who touched that video, the people who saw that video converted at a much higher rate. That to me is the middle of the funnel. Yes, I've, I've heard of you, great. I'm considering you in this category for purchase, but I don't really know how this thing works. And there's a lot of obstacles to get over. Airbnb certain has, certainly has a lot as well around trust and safety in particular. And then when I get through that mid funnel, okay, then you know maybe I got busy, but then I see that low funnel search ad or app install ad or whatever, I'm much more likely to click it. 100%. The, the idea of like brand awareness for the sake of brand awareness is something that we see so often on the freeways here in in Silicon Valley or, or the Bay Area, where it's like your name and that's it, literally filling an entire billboard. No explanation, no, no invitation for recall. Yeah, you know, where's the story? Often where's the, a where bad you, font? Where are you yeah. pointing me to? Right. Yeah, where? Yeah, where are you pointing to? You know, and it's nothing about like where the person is transported to after they use your product, right? And like, meanwhile, there's so many people out there that know about your product, but just have general questions that they want answered. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. This is something we're fixing at Airbnb right now because there are a lot of people we meet. They don't even really understand what we do or what we offer. You know, people in San Francisco and New York and LA have been using it for 10 years and they're 26. Like they typically get it intuitively, but now we're becoming a mainstream company and there are a lot of people who are have misconceptions or they read some article somewhere that said something and you know they don't really know how it works exactly or they're intimidated to use it and so we're trying to simplify things right now. Uh, you know, I was talking to a company that does uh, essentially like co-working spaces and I was talking to uh, like about their brand positioning and a lot of stuff that they were thinking about and I talked to a buddy who lived in uh, in lived in New York City and he was like looking for a co-working space. He's like, ah, "I would never use them." I'm like, "Why not?" And he's like, "Well, they crush the little guy. What little, like what little guy? <laughs> is there like someone I don't know about uh, that is little that is being crushed? And he was like, you know, they ju that's just what they do. And I'm like, I have, no, I actually don't have any <laughs> idea what you're talking about. And I don't know what this is rooted in. Yeah. And it seems to be, maybe it's a popular hallucination. It reminds me of the South Park the episode where they're like railing against Walmart whatever, and they finally <laughs> get Walmart out and then like, they give it to like Greg's local supplies, <laughs> local supplies. And then Greg's local supplies get so big that they crush that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but I think that there's just a lot of people that would like to be talked to about these things and just like just, just have misconceptions cleared up, right? Because yeah, we're totally getting yeah. inundated by so many different messages all day long. There's a big opportunity there, I think, to like basically turn FAQs into 
great messages Definitely. and great yeah. content. Customer education is not sexy, but like that's how I see a lot of mid-funnel stuff. It's seeing that billboard on the 101 and like, great. So you heard of, I always see the one for Bright Tyrion or whatever. And it's like a data science company. Like, great. Like, and then holding the person's hand and walking them down the funnel to like that little search ad that's like something very specific about what Bright does that I'm also not going to understand. I don't mean to pick on them, by the way. It's just like, I have no idea what they do because there's not that full uh, full funnel is such a buzzy thing. It's like, I feel like it's so, it is so empty in the middle. And so people are filling it by just saying full funnel a lot, but it's, it's very true what you say. No. So we, uh, one of the great, you know, stories that, that, uh, Lauren, our, our co-host who's, uh, who's probably surfing somewhere right now always talks about is that she had this ad when she was at Salesforce, that was so the Wall Street Journal has one ad on it. And she had this ad for like two years and she was on the homepage on the homepage mm. of, of Wall Street Journal. She inherited the front page, I guess, is the real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Um, and so she inherited this ad. She's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this ad? It's, it's not what I am. I'm a demand gen marketer and all this sort of stuff. And she's like, at the end of two years, though, it's like every single CEO of the Fortune 500 knew who he works is early days for Salesforce. So there is value in the repetitiveness, you know, the, the, whatever the 13 to 15 impressions that, that equals there, there's a lot of value in that specifically with B2B, but, but where that doesn't come is when you are just jamming app installs down people's throats. And right. I think that that is where the performance and the brand part really has kind of this, this thing at odds where if you're just always talking about product, I mean, like, you know, we talk about like Predator, Pareto principle, Pareto, Pareto yeah. principle, sorry, that, uh, you know, you should probably be talking about like your customers and what solution or how you're helping them improve their lives 80% of the time. And then like your product 20% of the time. But I think that a lot of times, like the performance stuff just ends up being a hundred percent product all the time. And like, you're not really going to convince people unless they're doing a ton of diligence about it to be able to figure that stuff out. No, I totally agree. I, I was talking with a friend she is a CMO of one of the big dating app companies, and she t- we were talking about this very subject, and she totally got it. I mean, she, she's been feeling the same way. She's very intuitive. She's a brand person, but she said, almost defeated, she said, I know, but it's it's so much easier said than done because in talking with her C- CEO and actually spending money on marketing, the stuff that they can track, this is why Google is one of the biggest companies in the world, it's so much more easy to spend money there. Where you because can you can track. show it. Right. That's the thing. And but so, that doesn't mean the brand stuff isn't important, right? It's just a much longer payback. It's it's inarguable if you take it to the extreme that if people have heard of you, right? It's like I, I often give a presentation where I just show a white cup and then you show a white cup with a Starbucks logo on it. Like you're going to pay more money for the one on the right and you're more likely to trust it and drink it and buy it. No one disagrees with that. But then when you say, well, hey, maybe we should do that for our company or our product, it was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't really know how to track that. So we better do this. It's like Coca-Cola, you know, they started running TV ads in 1952. They didn't run them for a month and like have a big meeting about the 30 day payback period on the $2 million they spent and say, well, this is not working. Let's forget it. Like they spent decades making sure that like anytime you walk up to that case, you know and trust and grab that red logo. And the most iconic brands all do. So GE, uh, their theater and everything, they were yep. doing branded content back in the day, but they were investing heavily into the brand. 
Yeah. I mean, what's what's the ROI on the polar bears? I want to know, like, if if one of the polar bears is like 350 pounds versus like 750 pounds, like how, how if they slide down the little thing. I mean, I can promise you there is some marketing analytics company talking to Coca-Cola right now that purports to be able to tell them that <laughs> and they're going to charge them $200,000 and they're going to come back with, you know, I've seen these reports that's like uh, fancy statistics with hieroglyphics and all this stuff. And they say, I mean, I've literally... Uh, my friend at one of the big jeans companies was shaking her head, showing me one of these ones. It said, you know, we now know that 17.1% of your, I'm not making this up, of your 5% rise in sales in the last quarter came because of your billboard ads. Like nobody's slapping a billboard ad. There's no way to actually know that, but there's such a yearning for that confidence and that tracking. It's like astrology for yeah. astrology and horoscopes for yeah, marketers. And, yeah. and you know, that CMO wants to hold that report and walk into the CEO's office and say, hey, look at these hieroglyphics, look at this astrology, something is happening here. And everyone's self-aware about it. I don't mean to be pejorative, but I'm like, sure there's some truth. There's probably some truth in right. that, but right. it's, yeah. That's right. And so everyone's doing the best they can, but it's, um, it's tough. It, it reminds me of uh, in Shrek with, uh, with Puss in Boots when he does his like little like uh, the cat face with like the huge eyes where he's like, looks really cute and, and pathetic. You're like, history told him that that was the cute face that gets him off the hook for all that stuff. Right. But there's yeah. no, there's no data behind it. Let's take a little trip into the app world. Uh, it's like Disney world, but for apps, you spent a lot of time working with mobile gamers, working on app install ads and all this stuff. Like what were some of the things that you learned from, from this app world that was kind of something different than what we'd ever seen before? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Performance marketing has taken on many forms since Google came along. And, you know, when the iPhone came out and games on phones started to do well and brands started to have apps, this whole new world of performance marketing got invented uh, where people wanted to get their apps installed. And funny enough, you know, years and years after that thing really caught fire in 2010 through 2015, ad tech blew up on mobile and all that good stuff, I still see huge brands who aren't really investing in it, are very, very slow to catch up to the fact that their mobile app matters. But I guess if I had to characterize what I learned back then, it was really fun. It was really fascinating. It was really this new frontier of marketing getting built at every conference and every meeting, just kind of right before my eyes. But it's still so young. Again, it's like the first TV ads. I'm sure eight years into the television advertising medium, people didn't feel like they really knew you know, where things were going either. Do you think that things like that, that feel so transactional to a brand that has never done something that transactional, that that is part of it? Like if you're thinking of like a CPG brand, I'm trying to think like we, um, you know, we have a lot of CPG listeners out there that work for, you know, whoever, I don't know, Dove or something like that, Crest. It's like if you're going to make Crest app, right? So your kids brush their teeth for two. Right. I don't know if that exists, but that should. But so like, let's say you were doing something like that. You're like, hey, we want kids to brush their teeth for two minutes. And also it's, it's good for our company, right? They've never done app installs. Right. They've never even thought about doing it. It's app a installs. cultural thing too. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, how do you, how do you think about that sort of stuff? Like, what is the point? Like, what is the, what are the metrics that you want for that stuff? Like, why does it matter? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it varies by the vertical and the type of company, obviously, you know, Coca-Cola tried to do apps. Oftentimes people launch an app in conjunction with some advertising campaign. It's very ephemeral and they kill it, you know, eight months later. Yeah. Totally, but I think yes. you, you've seen some big success with apps like Pizza Hut's delivery app. Like that has real functional value for people and they they're investing a lot in that. But um, I was talking to a young woman from the from the Midwest who's at a women's fashion company that we all know. It's been around for gosh, eighty years, and you know, 
she said that her boss was like, hey, can you actually take over our app? Because like the woman who was doing it just left and there's nobody doing it. And she said, guys, the app is making like $60 million a year and it's growing, you know, fat. she said it's growing faster than any other revenue stream at the company. It's just that the C-level executives don't really know what to do with it. They don't know how it works. They don't know how marketing in the app world works. And uh, she's actually trying to leave the company just because the culture is just... Um, just too far behind for her. But those kind of stories blow my mind. And they also tell me that there's so much further to go that we are in a bubble out here in Silicon Valley. Like I was in a complete bubble with a bleeding edge sort of mobile gaming guys figuring it out together in 2012. It's going to be decades before people really focus on these things. It reminds me of uh, of an interesting story that we, we talk about, Chad and I, when we talk about mission stuff. That Bill Simmons, who founded who founded The Ringer, used to work at ESPN. He would talk to the executives about podcasting because he'd been podcasting for like a long time. And they were like, yeah, there's just no way to make money. They're like over and, and he's like, I'm pretty sure like millions of people are listening to me. I'm pretty sure there's a way to make money on yeah. this. Especially so, when you bring up the point too. Sorry, Ian, I'll let yeah, you get back no. to it. But when you bring up the point, there's uh, about $17 billion spent each year on terrestrial radio ads. You tell somebody that and they say, yeah, but the U.S. podcast industry is only around $230 million in size in terms of advertising. You're like, yeah, it's going to change. The, exactly. the money might shift at a certain point. Yeah. And so, and his, the sponsor that they had for years on the BS report was Subway. That was it. It's like, well, people eat sandwiches. Like we can get them. Um, there was a great presentation somebody gave at a, one of these mobile conferences a couple of years ago. It was the amount of attention that's being spent on TV. It was a very well-researched uh, study. The amount of attention that is being spent on print and radio, et cetera, and the amount of advertising spend relative to that, uh, you know, sort of the distribution. And then there was mobile and the amount of attention that's being spent on phones. And this was like 2015 or so. Actually, now it's probably way higher. And as you can imagine, that bar, that vertical bar on the bar chart for mobile attention was extremely high, growing extremely fast. And the amount of money that the brand world was spending on advertising on mobile devices was a tiny smidgen. And maybe it's three times the size now, but it's still tiny, uh, relatively speaking. So I think the world's waking up to that. A lot of my friends from uh, these mobile game companies are all getting snapped up like crazy uh, by these brands who want to invest in their mobile experience. By, mobile by like CPG brands and things like that? Well, or? CPG is tricky. Uh, they're still figuring it out. It's funny. They do spend a lot on social, but more by like, um, you know, e-commerce brands and things oh, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. you know, the Nordstrom app, like they, they do make, they do hundreds of millions through that thing, but Nordstrom wasn't necessarily set up as a company that really understand how to optimize that. So they're hiring people from not just games, but you know, people who are sort of mobile first historically. When people or when marketers are looking at creating these type of apps, it turns out just like every good marketing campaign, the apps that do the best are the thing that show the experience that help you get the experience that you want. Like nobody wants to brush their teeth. They just want whiter teeth. Right. But yeah, so so I think that the people who figure out the the app thing like Groundtable or, or Pizza Hut or whatever, yeah. like they want the pizza to be in your house because you want to eat the pizza as fast as you can, right? Like that's like those experiences, those apps and those kind of things that help people get the results they want faster win. But yeah. the things that just figure out a way to like people pushing their crap just doesn't really work. No, that's right. And that's what people tried early on, you know, where there was a CPG brand, Coca-Cola, anybody, they were just like, oh, let's just put ads in mobile. And that's why the ad tech companies started making a lot of money. There's been a consolidation because they figured out, okay, we need to be smarter about this. And I think they're getting smarter about it. I want to switch into some of the cool stuff that you're working on at Airbnb and some of the cool stuff that you've been working on. Specifically, I think it's hard, you know, from some of the people that we talked to, launching products for a company that is kind of known for one thing 
right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Airbnb is working on a lot of other things. You know, our friends at Google that are, you know, Google has so many products at this point. When you have a new product that it's like they're not known for, it's it has its own unique challenges because they see that brand, that logo, and they just think of one thing. What are some of the fun things that you've been working on at Airbnb that you can share? Yeah. So we announced our new super guest program. We've had a super host program for a long time. Hosts who are just very reliable, a lot of five-star reviews, accessible. And yet, if you've traveled on Airbnb one time or a hundred times, we treat you the same today. Marriott, you brought up, doesn't right? And most hotel chains don't. And particularly for business travelers and frequent travelers, that's a big selling point. You know, we always try to take everything back to the customer. So if you are sitting at home and you're trying to decide where to stay on your this next trip to London for five days, and you really want to stay at an Airbnb, but you also like, you know, another hotel chain and you're making that final decision, well, if you're going to get points at that hotel chain or you're not on Airbnb, that's a distinguishing factor. So we've known this for some time. We don't just want to build uh, some points program that looks like everything else. We want to do something that's better than anything the world's ever seen. That's very Airbnb. That's very unique to us. It's special. And so we've been baking up some really interesting stuff there. And then in general, just I think this past couple of quarters have just been focused on guest recognition and how to really make sure our guests feel like a community as much as our hosts feel like a community. That's really cool. And it's something that you know, you see companies that are like popping up just around the transparency around like, you know, these credit cards, all this sort of stuff like points. I mean, like NerdWallet's a great example of a company that is solely built on how, explain it. how confusing and untransparent credit cards are. Right. Yeah. And because these points programs I spent, dude, I spent this is quick aside. I spent no joke, like three hours the other night trying to understand what is the best purchase. I had a huge purchase to make, which credit card, like mine or my girlfriend's or like, how yeah. do you do this for this thing? It was, it was ridiculous. And I'm like trying to figure out like, but is this, does this count as a travel thing or not a travel thing? Or yeah, like calling is, the company, is this a hold? restaurant? Yeah. So I call the restaurant. I'm like, all right, I'm going to spend $5,000 with this restaurant so that I could get double points, even though it's not, no, I didn't do that. But, <laughs> but like you, you do these things, like I'm like driving myself crazy. I'm like, why am I doing this? But it's because there's no transparency. And I think right. the points program is such an, such an easy example. Like we don't even know what this stuff means. So I, yeah. I did some, some uh, direct research with uh, another program that we thought had some cool stuff going. And I talked to a lot of people in that program, a smaller company than, than the Hilton's and Marriott's of the world. And almost to the person, I talked to about 20 people. Many of them really liked it. They were really glad they were in the program. And, and then I would inform them or they'd check their app. Yeah, I'm level seven, level four, whatever it may be. And I'd say, well, what does that get you? You know, that's great. And they'd say, oh, I don't know exactly. No one knew any of the details. And when I would read to them some of the fine print and some of that stuff, they go, oh, that's t that's terrible. I didn't really, oh, I didn't realize that expired or whatever. And I, we just realized most people, it's so opaque and we don't want to be that. Yeah. And there's often nothing there. So like we stayed, when we went to New York, we stayed at the executive floor of the hotel. We did. That's right. Nope. It's there wasn't anything the there. We were executives. There were a couple so. signs. We were, we were executives. Yes. This is an executive studio. It offered absolutely no benefit whatsoever. <laughs> oh, was, it was not clear at all. So yeah, we'll uh, do the Airbnb thing. Yeah, I'm sure Airbnb has some awesome spots in Brooklyn. So we'll yeah. check that out next time. It's so much better to travel with for work because you don't have to just stay at the boring place where everyone else is. Uh, yeah. Particularly if you're going to a city that you haven't been to before. Uh, you can stay in a neighborhood and now we've got these listings under Airbnb for work that you can search by that actually have fast Wi-Fi and they're self-check-in. If you get into Tokyo at 1 a.m., you can just 
hit the numbers on the keypad and go in, things like that. So it's a really, it's one of the fastest growing parts of our company right now. You mean now. you're doing things that people care about and that yeah, people want? Yeah, all it turns we're out. to do. So this is another fascinating thing, I think, about Airbnb and about technology catching up to something that is really popular. You know, like the ads around something like having door locks that you punch in the punch code and you get into the house, right? This is like one of those things where how many people's pain point about, you know, doing yep. their first Airbnb is like, I don't know how I get the keys. Sure. This sounds super confusing. So like we were talking about that other mid funnel example earlier. Exactly. And we're, we're looking at this right now. If we, you know, we could have more beautiful and we will continue to have beautiful high funnel brand love kind of advertising. It's what built this amazing brand that we're lucky to have today. And we can have more spend on those, you know, Hey, looks like you're traveling to Paris. even like, you know, try this place out, but right. That, Thing you just mentioned is an obstacle. Well, wait, but when I get to Paris, will I be able to get into my room? Will I have to wait for a host for 20 minutes? So actually adding some advertising around that to the mid-funnel mix, I think could be very powerful for us. Well, and this is where funnel funnelnomics for someone like Airbnb, it's not a B2B funnel where you're pushing people through a pipeline that gets to a close and then they're a customer and you focus on customer success. And then, you know, after that, you're just making them happy forever and you increase the amount of like licenses or seats or whatever it is. It's not that it's a we want them to use this every time they travel. So you need to constantly bring up reasons to them to be like, oh, it's just like you said, educational marketing. Like, hey, did you know that we have certain hosts that have super fast Wi-Fi and you can sort by that? Oh, did you know? So it's this like constant remind reminder of staying in front of mind. I heard someone really interesting talking about how Amazon, despite being like this behemoth and all this stuff that they're the least sticky product because at the end of the day, someday you could just switch because you're like, whatever brings me the stuff the fastest, right? But so it's like this idea that you have to continually remind people what are the advantages of using your product in a way that like a B2B marketer doesn't have. And a lot of those things are quote unquote features, but that feature ties directly to a pain point, which is why yeah. you focused on it in the first place. And you also just made an argument for brand too, right? It's like um, it's Samsung poked at this with a lot of their advertising a few years ago, but there are a lot of people, I'm probably one of them, that just will buy Apple products just because they have so much trust in the brand and they have so much affinity that's been built up over so long that it can, you know, um, Jonathan, my old, our old CMO used to say, you can actually conquer a lot of the stuff we're talking about if you make the brand that powerful. I think Apple's a good example of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we so we did this, uh, we did a two-part episode with uh, 40 Lessons from 40 Years of Apple Ads. And what's so funny is they always just position, I mean, there's a lot of themes from this, but one thing they always used, celebrities, always. Like a lot of their ads is like probably a fourth of them use celebrities. And the other thing is they just always position themselves in the future. The person who is using their stuff is at the cutting edge. They are in the future and they're solving some thing that probably isn't a isn't a problem for 90% of people yet. Yeah. It's an interesting thing for someone like, you know, Airbnb, who, you know, Chad and I, and, and we use it, you know, we use it all the time. And I mean, I, I don't even, I was way early for sure. And you just forget how much cool stuff is constantly going on. You know, maybe you're not traveling a lot lately or something like that. And you just don't know, you know, what is happening. And like, how do you do that? Is that with push notifications? Is that with whatever it is? Well, but the media is a whole other story. Yeah. That's also evolving very quickly, but, but you're right. That's a great example of Apple sort of, you know, everybody wants to look to the future. Everyone wants to be aspirational. And, uh, you know, with Airbnb, it's, we want to create a world where people feel like they can belong anywhere. 
And it's a, it's a beautiful vision of the world uh, that the founders have. And in our advertising, we try to imagine that for folks. So I want to do a lighting round. So we ask like lighting round questions that are just kind of like fun and silly and stuff. Sure. Before we do that, any, any other stuff that you have off the top of your head, Chad, that you want to? Yeah, real quick. So John, you mentioned that the marketing was almost evolving faster than the technology at Airbnb. And I know you talk at a lot of different conferences for marketers and marketing execs and things like that. So where are you getting the majority of your marketing education or how do you see that environment for marketing education? Like what's the state of it? Like what are the top schools? What are the top programs, if any? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and realized we get to invent it. So there's not a, you know, when I was looking at, at business school, these thoughts came to mind as well, that no one has the answers. You know, I don't yep. know the answers. We're all figuring it out as we go. But just knowing and being self-aware about the fact that there's no right answer and just exploring new avenues, testing new things. I love meeting ambitious CMOs who are just saying, you know what, let's try that. I don't care that no one else has done it. It seems to make sense to me. You're going to be a better executive than the other people that are all sort of sloshing around trying to figure out what everyone else is doing. Because so no one really knows. So that type of like applied, uh, hands-on, skin-in-the-game type strategies, yes. those are always going to trump the more... Because that, that's the only thing where you're actually going to get feedback from the marketplace, right? Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, I, I actually find a lot of value in going to conferences. I was just thinking on this podcast. I keep, you know, I happen to have gone to a bunch of stuff recently and just keep sharing things that I'm hearing from other people. But I read something recently that, you know, no one wants to think, well, they're an expert in a space because they think there's some like otherworldly experts out there who must know everything. And wow, that person sounds so confident. They're always telling me what to do. Like, no, you are an expert. Like if you're talking to other people in your industry and you're hearing what they're going through on a, a real-time basis and you're trying things as well, you know as much as anyone else. Right. So I would just encourage people to have the the courage to follow their conviction and try things and make the future of marketing themselves. We had a guest recently on on a on a different show that talked about like, well, you know, we're not comparing ourselves to this person. And my response was kind of like, no, we are. We have to. Like, that's the only thing that we can do is compare our circumstances to people. Like, if you as a marketer are not comparing yourself to what Steve Jobs is working on as a marketer, you're wrong, right? Sure. And like, that's part of the thing about the best part about business school is like these case studies, right? Like, well, let's build the plane out of the black box thing, right? Like these case studies are the things that people were working on in that moment of time. And they only had the, dis the information that they have that everybody else who's listening has at this point. The people that we talk to on the show are at the cutting edge and are making these decisions every day. So, you know, there's some imposter syndrome for sure that happens there, but we're just kind of all guilty of it. And you just have to realize like nobody's coming to save the day, right? right. Yep. And again, marketing is changing so fast and it's such a creative and also data-driven kind of area. There's just so much to do and so much to try. And so it's a very exciting time right now. Let's add some lightning into this conversation. These are fast and easy questions, just like Pardot, <laughs> our good friends. Was that a plug? Absolutely. I love it. They are the sponsor. Very They're good. our exclusive sponsor. Amazing. And yeah. We love them <laughs> and we use Pardot. So this is fast and easy. Sure. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? You can't say Airbnb. This is embarrassing and my wife doesn't even know this, but I found, you know, hyper casual is the big trend in my old gaming space, like super casual. 
and there's one called it's like helix jump or something when my brain oh is my just God, overloaded I've played this Have game you? yes yeah, it's like that dna cylindrical thing and the ball's bouncing and you've got to like find their way down and it's so dumb and i just sit on a plane playing it you know hyper casual is a good way to sell it though okay yeah. good Lord. <laughs> oh it's it's like anyone can just pick it up and play it within a second that's that part of the gaming world is taking off right now i realized afterwards number one i have not played it i think my girlfriend plays it but Number two, hyper casual could be taken in a lot of contexts. So <laughs> the, the irony is I don't play mobile games. It was actually always a problem for that five and a half years. I really wasn't into mobile games, but like it's so easy to play. And just when your mind is flooded, it's I highly recommend it. Cool. I, you know, I play these. I've just started for the first time ever playing some of these like puzzle games. And you're like, man, turns out this stuff is really addicting. It's yeah. pretty, pretty fun. That was not fast, but it was easy. All right. Second <laughs> question. What's your favorite vacation spot? We love Mexico. Uh, it's close to here. Uh, you know, everyone we've met down there have been incredible. The food is unbelievable. It's inexpensive. I wish we could go there all the time. Do you go to Baja? I've been to different places, but uh, all, yeah, all over. Mazatlan. It's funny. We usually, we usually land somewhere cheesy like Cancun or Mazatlan or whatever, and then drive two hours to somewhere cool, but I can never remember the names of those places. Yeah, so we, I just got back from Cancun. The number one takeaway from Mexico is that the people are literally the nicest people in the world. Yeah. They, because tourism is their business. And so every single person, no matter who you are, is like, this is the most important thing. Wait, isn't it spring break right now? Did you go there for spring I break? I did not. Did you have a whistle and <laughs> okay, like a I, pouring beers in people's I mouths? Speak in the, <laughs> I speak as just the other day. I'll say that and it'll be like seven years ago, but no, it was in August. <laughs> So nice. Nicest people. Great food. I'm, I'm in. Favorite ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're envious of? I thought the Colin Kaepernick stuff. Talk about making the future of marketing and just following your convictions. I mean, it's been controversial. It's been successful. It's certainly something that's gotten into the cultural conversation. But man, imagine how hard that was. Imagine the executives in that building who were like, we cannot do this. This is way too risky. It's just not the typical thing that corporate executives do on a typical day by any stretch. And so I think they should be very proud of that campaign. Totally agree. Favorite follow on social media? You know what? I, I'm kind of off of it. Like eight or 10 months ago, I thought, you know, I'm looking at Instagram a lot. I don't really know why I'm posting stuff. I'm not really sure why. I have nothing against it. And, and a lot of friends who work there, but I just kind of took it off my phone. And then I realized I actually kind of forgot it wasn't on my phone and it's been off for a long time. So I know I'm kind of an odd one out there, but uh, it just was taking up time in my day. And so I don't have it anymore. You don't miss it. That's that's the truth I, of I it. I don't. Yeah, it's bizarre. So there's a fun fact. It's about, it's estimated that between 30 to 40% of the adult population don't actively use social media. They have all the accounts and everything. Oh, interesting. They just don't actively use it. And that's, uh, yeah. Just fun fact. Yeah. So like uh, I'm from Boston, so forgive me, but you know, Patriots fan. And when the Super Bowl is going on and crazy stuff's going down, I'll like, you know, I'll Google Bill Simmons tweet Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, you know, they're right there in Google anyway. But uh, yeah, nothing against social media. Just uh, not a not a big part of my life right now. I'll share one at Chad Grills. That's a great follow. Yeah, I heard he's great. <laughs> he's great. He's Jeez. sitting right catty corner. I'm glad I put that in the show notes for you to say. <laughs> there, there you go. Um uh, what's your favorite use case for Pardot? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I think Conan O'Brien's doing a really good job. Yeah. I just, just tripped over that one. And um, he's such a good interviewer that um, it's been really interesting to hear some of those and fun. 
he's one of those guys where he's going to have a second wind of his career for like the next totally. like 20 years. That's going to be epic longer. Yeah, no, you're right. Kind of similar to what Alec Baldwin's doing with his podcast and stuff like that. Same exact Completely. thing. And his shows and yeah. the production company. For sure. um, worst advice that you've gotten. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I, I was just considering yesterday in conversation with someone, this whole like, do what customers want. Jeff Bezos puts a chair at every table that's empty for the customer. And then Steve Jobs, don't try to do what customers want. They don't know what they want. Just like, <laughs> it's just like two su- you know, such powerful polls that I could really agree with them both. So I don't know that either one of those is good or bad, but it's just an interesting discussion. I'm trying to think if I've ever gotten some bad advice. I would just have, I would just be making something up. I don't have something good for you, unfortunately. I like the uh, the yin and the yang that you provided. Yeah, best I can do. You're off the hook there. Pardon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Love it. Thing you are most excited about for the future of marketing? Oh man, I am very excited for the future of marketing. I I really feel like I mean, it's weird to say early days. Marketing's been around since the 1800s, but I think the advent of mobile, uh, the fact for better or worse that we're all staring at these little glowing boxes in our pockets all day and all the new frontiers that's opened up for video, for social uh, networks, for YouTube, which I think is just going to be TV. I mean, we're not even going to call it TV someday soon. It's just going to be this rectangle on our wall. That's an extension of all the other content that we're listening to the opportunities with voice, not just podcasts or Alexa, but just all of the ways that we can use these things we're using right now. You know, I think it couldn't be a more exciting time. What's your best advice for a first time head of marketing? Yeah, I think marketing, don't don't feel like, well, this is what everyone else has done in the space, or this is what this vertical does uh, historically. Step back and think, okay, what makes the most sense for not only this vertical or uh, but this company, this brand, this specific pocket product, rather. Think about all the direct consumer stu- uh, companies are doing these days that have really reinvented a lot of things. Uh, it kind of, kind of goes back to the, those first principles we were talking about earlier of look at the landscape. I don't care if you're 22 or 52. Think, hey, what do I believe? What is my conviction about what's what can work? What's what's some crazy idea that actually might be crazy enough to work for this product at this time in this phase of the company? And just go for it. And don't let, don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't. And we talked about Nike and what they did with that Kaepernick campaign. If they can do it at a corporate level, like you can do it at a smaller company. And if you do something crazy enough and you get fired, his email is John. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're at the wrong company. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for hanging out. Any final yeah. words? No, this was really fun. Uh, been talking. We've been talking about this a long time, and I'm I'm so excited to get to talk to you guys. I'm really excited what you guys are doing. Do talk about being on the frontier of something. Thanks so much. Um, it's it's really exciting. It's going to be fun to watch you grow. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels.
But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.